0: And welcome back to the Why Hockey Periodically About Formula One podcast, because the most important thing that happened in sports apparently in the last couple of weeks has nothing to do with hockey. Even Ange Postacoglu admits this. It's Lewis (laughs) Hamilton moving to Ferrari.
1: Yes. Uh, One of the best all-time, some would argue the best all-time, you could argue, you know, right up there with Michael Schumacher, is moving to Michael Schumacher's Ferrari. Uh, this is going to move merchandise. This is going to print and sell papers. This is uh, or digital paywall articles, whatever I would hope you so. article, want to call it. Whatever you call it. And the good news is, it doesn't even happen until 2025. So it's a long run of drama building till you actually get the payoff. And then when you get the payoff in 2025, there's going to be a whole new news cycle to go into so this is going to be uh this is big and this is going to be big for a long time
0: can i make a point that really shocked me i am not as big an f1 fan as you but i do know more about it than the average person so in formula one if you don't know you have a driver's championship it's based on points like you have in nascar like you have in indycar and all these other you know sports and you have the constructors championship which is essentially which make or which team Builds the car that gets the most points, podiums, fastest laps, things like that. Right?
1: For F1, it's the two driver points put together.
0: Yeah. It's essentially, it's a good way of putting it because you have two drivers per team. Ferrari, Mm -hmm. you would think, and I think the average person, if they've never heard necessarily, you know, Formula One or things of that nature, right? What would you think would be the most prestigious motorsports car brand in the world? You would think it would be Ferrari. Like, that would be my guess, and I like cars, and I think most people would think it's Ferrari, particularly in Formula One. Not NASCAR, obviously, but Formula. Ferrari and NASCAR would be amazing, but we'll never say it. Right?
1: Right. So, Correct. when
0: is the last time, and I knew it was a long time, but I didn't know exactly when, when is the last time Ferrari won the Constructors' Championship in Formula One? Do you know it off the top of your head? 2001. It is sooner than that, but... 07. One year off.
1: 06. 08. 08, 08, yeah, because 06 was Alonso. Um, okay, so know. if
0: Ferrari is the most prestigious brand in Formula 1, they've won the most Constructors' Championships of any and they haven't won a Constructors' title in nearly two decades. That's Toronto Blue Belief's
1: level of garbage. It, I mean, that was you, – you stole it right from me, but that's okay. It's it's a pretty, pretty good, easy, direct one to make. Uh, you could also say um, – Dallas Cowboys
0: level, too. <laughs> for yankees you take your pick
1: yeah i i was gonna make a joke like um you know their rolex is is kind of like the biggest name known for luxury watches and stuff but if you're really into watches like rolex is like The entry point, but it's not the end point. It's not the best. Kind of like how you would think
0: of motorcycles as Harley Davidson's, and then people who drive bikes will tell you Harley Davidson's are garbage. Yeah,
1: yeah. Ferrari Ferrari, especially uh in the twenty first century post Schumacher is more of a trademark (laughs) than than a you sound like Jeremy team. Clarkson.
0: I don't know whether I mean that as a good thing or a bad thing at this point, but it's interesting to me.
1: More so more so than the Maple Leafs, I would want Ferrari to do well. There needs to be some more competition, especially at the top end right now. And I think the you know, the right now everything's getting very Americanized. Uh, and I would love for Ferrari to get some influence back and take and, you know, go back to some of the classic tracks. Uh, I don't want to go, you know, do another city course of some like, you know, oh, the, Seattle the or Chicago. Terrible
0: Las Vegas Grand Prix, which no one liked and everyone thought was a
1: disaster. Yeah, of course, you know, I'm in. Uh, I have a WhatsApp F1 ch- uh, chat. Uh, shout out to the F1 chat. Uh, and we were discussing how uh, the Chicago Grand Prix and similar names have been trademarked. Uh, so. the philadelphia grand prix can you get to the airport on i-95 and it's great that you know miami has a grand prix now and everything Yeah, literally driving around the parking lot of hard rock stadium i want to see like i want to see courses that are built for an f1 car to go all out and the nurburgring pretty much is what you're saying um
0: and I do want to say congratulations to Ferrari for making this announcement right as it was revealed that Christian Horner is being investigated for misconduct,
1: head of Red Bull who's won a lot recently. Oh, Isn't I wouldn't. I don't know. I'm. Um, uh, yeah, I. Funny. I. I'm. I'm gonna wait to see more about that. Uh, but there's a lot of politics that goes on in F1. There's a lot of sabotage. There's a lot of. Uh, things that are stirred up dramatized and are made to believe how, to be how they thing, rejected so. the Andretti team
0: from participating, even though oh, you yeah. kind
1: of want to get more Americans involved and you have no American drivers. Oops. And again, another, another tidbit from the F1 chat, uh, it would be better for Andretti to buy out Haas. It'd be faster than to get their own team. Anyway, I just
0: wanted to start with that
1: because but, I knew yeah. that Tommy would like
0: it. Um, yeah, of we have, oh, we have some it. house. Yes, I know. We have some housekeeping notes for this show. This might be the first ever Y-Hockey show. We've done a lot of things on Y-Hockey. We've done marathon shows. But this might be the first ever show, because of how much we have to get to, that might legitimately end up being cut into two shows. And we don't know whether that's going to happen yet. And we'll have to see how the recording goes. But you'll know by the time you're recording this, because it'll say part one in the title. So keep your eyes peeled for that. There is quite literally too much to talk about. But part of that is because I was traveling... Uh, recently, to South Florida, as I said. It was my cousin's bat mitzvah. I met David Dwork in person. Wonderful human being. His kids are wonderful. His wife is lovely. I did not know that his wife is actually from South Jersey, and that David Dwork worked at the Cherry Hill Mall, so the South Jersey South Florida (laughs) connections, they go on forever. And so, David Dwork, he already was a friend of the podcast, but now he's up there in the S-tier friend of the podcast, I would say. And Met at the Meisner Park Strawberry Festival. I'll tell you more about that at some point in the future. That's a fascinating thing. Um, but when I came home from that, I had a very scratchy throat, wasn't feeling particularly well, and the Panthers played four games, so there wasn't a great day to record. And then last week, I'm like, Oh, let's take an all-star break. Everybody deserves a yeah. break and a chance to go to the beach. Uh, perhaps. I mean, not us. But anyway, now we're back, and everything happened in the last three weeks, so... Congrats to hockey for having a lot of news cycles in the last three weeks that feel like they've taken forever. So that's why this show might go on longer and have a part two, which we've never done before. The second thing is Blue Sky has now been made public. So if you are interested in joining Blue Sky, you don't need an invite code. I am Matt's Musings1, same as the Twitter handle on Blue Sky. Would love to interact with you there. It's a a fun little site. Maybe why Hockey will make it over there one day. Did they
1: hide that? Like dot blue sky dot whatever thing. Yeah, you
0: change your name uh, to whatever your website is. There's a pathway to do that, so it's very interesting, very fun. Hope to interesting. see you. Hope to see you on Blue Sky. Perhaps I'm I'm Maybe, not off yeah. of Twitter against my better judgment, but still on Blue Sky, and I would love to interact with you there. Different discussions can be had. Different people follow me on Blue Sky, which is fascinating as compared to the the Twitter machine. And now I have to make the point that this is the little segment of the show where we are going to talk about the Hockey Canada scandal and sexual assault. So if you do not want to listen to this discussion, I will have a time code in the show notes so you could skip over this, which is perfectly understandable. But we
1: have to talk yeah. about this because quite a bit has happened in the last three weeks. And unfortunately, it does involve one of the two teams we talk about. And We uh, were going to talk
0: about it anyway, yeah. but we have to talk about it vis-a-vis these players. and <laughs> Well, yeah, I, we do have to talk about so it. So because... much more that was said. Uh, by the London, Ontario Police Department, who did not cover themselves in glory on Monday. I mean, really didn't cover themselves in glory. Talk about things with institutional rot. Police departments,
1: there you go. I don't expect the police officers that are in, in position right now to be able to speak on their own about it. I do expect them, though, with especially this amount of lead time, I mean, they had three weeks between when they or two weeks between when they announced the press conference to the press conference where they could have at the very minimum, if not long before then, hired an appropriate PR firm to and and maybe even a human relations firm, an internal corporate culture firm to to help them navigate this press conference to not add more fuel to the fire. Uh, And and, and and I I, I have to start
0: by saying, I I didn't watch it live, but I was watching the people who were tweeting it live. And, you know, it's the Rick Westheads, Katie Strangs, people you trust. Brock. I saw Brock was... Yeah, Brock was live tweeting it. Mark Lazarus was... And he's covered the Blackhawks scandal very well. So, you know, you trust these reporters.
1: Well, at least the Blackhawks are being punished and not getting Winter Classics or anything like that. We'll get to that later. Um, And I have to say... When I saw the tweets come up that
0: that they were that the police chief was blaming video games and TV for violence against women when we're talking about hockey culture, and then the police chief later said, I don't know anything about hockey culture, this is a sexual assault investigation. Yeah. It's, you have one job, you know everybody's watching. All of the news stations in Canada are there, and there is heavy U.S. interest in this too. And you drop the ball. It is it, it doesn't confound me because it's police departments and, again, institutions with rot. But with this particular situation, you know there are more eyeballs on you than there normally would be considering what is being investigated, who is involved, and the nature of the scandal. And I don't want to compare the nature of scandals, but it's one of the biggest scandals we've ever seen in hockey. And you drop the ball like that in your press conference. I know there's a bunch you can't say for fear of the, you know, investigation. Right. I understand that there's legal reasons, there's legal reasons for a lot of things that have gone on here, but you can't drop the ball like that in the press conference where you know you're going to get hard questions. And don't as Brock said, Don't go on your soapbox and tell us about how you have reformed and how you're better when if you were reformed and you were better, you wouldn't have dropped this in 2019. I understand, I mean, what could have happened and the cultures of police departments in Hockey Canada, but you don't go on your soapbox. And then you don't immediately follow that up by blaming, you know, video games and violent TV. Right. Like, you, you don't do that because hockey players are not thinking in those terms,
1: Chief. It's yeah, don't not, not, not go work like that. I I I mean I, I definitely agree with you. And listen, I will I I never defend police officers, So so hopefully no one reads this into that. Uh, but for me, it's I need them to make sure they don't screw up the evidence. I want to make sure that they make sure that chain of custody is followed. That they do everything they can from this point moving forward to guarantee any sort of conviction that is justifiable. And that's what I really want them to do. I want them to at this point, shut up because it's clear that they're not going to say things the right way or say the right things. And they're not going to hire somebody apparently to tell them what to say, which is the least you can expect them to do. Uh, and they can't even do that. So I just want them to shut up and make sure they do not drop the ball even further because the way this is... I mean, we don't really know too much, but we do know that they feel... The Crown feels that they have a very good case to move forward, and they wouldn't be moving forward if they didn't think that they had something compelling and something that they could likely get some convictions or, or, you know, some justice out of, uh, and the way that everything's kind of been tight, moved slowly and everything from their perspective, you might not like it, but from their perspective, they're doing it to make sure that they don't mess anything up. I wish that they could do things at you know, a normal speed without messing things up, but apparently that's too much for these guys. Uh, and so, um, We'll we'll see, but I've I've just been everybody in the situation, whether it's Kale McCarr answering questions, whether it's Hockey Canada NHL reporters being asked about why they aren't asking tougher questions uh, like a Pierre Lebron uh, or Darren Drager or somebody like that, uh, which we already know the answer, but they like that is just like everybody is just really taking taking turns showing kind of the worst worst impressions of the situation so it's it's really disheartening to see and i'm kind of i'm very dismayed by it to be honest with you given this is a real chance to be firm be outspoken and 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 really have a watershed moment and turn in the opposite direction as a sport
0: i think where we are and there, there's a hockey perspective to this, but it doesn't actually matter. Like none of these players are going to play until the legal process is over, which could be years because apparently there is a backlog in the Ontario court system from COVID. I don't know; that's beyond my purview. Uh, they're not playing until then. I don't know if they're going to ever play again because this is a scandal that is different um, to even all the others where, you know, found where players were obviously dealing with something like this and found innocent. We will talk about players in that vein later I think but to me the legal process is the legal process and the NHL and Hockey Canada have essentially impounded their investigations because they don't want to expose themselves legally uh uh, just in case like they wanted to let the legal process play out first and the legal process is playing out as you said very slowly and I can understand that from their perspectives and I don't think anybody wants to report on this Unless you have dead on nailed on sources like right. Rick Westhead and Robin Doolittle. So you're being very careful with this. And also, I'm going to be honest here. Unless you're Rick Westhead or Katie Strang, pretty much, like a lot of these reporters do not have experience reporting on sexual assault. And, you know, better to be safe than sorry if you don't know what you're doing. Um, there is a great piece written by uh, Jessica Luther out there on essentially how to report on sexual assault that everyone should read. I've read it a little bit, you know, before we talk about this, um, there are points I want to make related to this that aren't exactly about it, but are close to it. If you, if you follow the first of which is Gary Bettman talking about it at the all-star game, he knew he was going to have to talk about it. We knew what the questions were going to be the way he, you know, got testy with Robin Doolittle was not the way to act. I don't think it was sexism. I think it was legitimately Gary Bettman acts that way at press conferences. If he keeps getting a line of questioning he doesn't like because these press conferences are not set up for him to get hard questions, even though in this case, he knew he was going to get hard questions and credit to Robin Doolittle for doing that consistently. That's what you have to do.
1: Yeah, he's a corporate, he's a corporate lawyer. He he, he knows what he's doing. And I think, yeah, anybody who would have asked that question uh, or, or, you know, a series of questions like that would... Would would face similar ire. Uh yes. and it wouldn't matter who it was; it just happened to be Robin Doolittle who broke yeah, the story that was being charged. Yeah, unfortunately, that's been a hallmark of his tenure. And there's a lot of positive things you can say about Batman, but I think there's more negative things, and I would definitely like to see a change from I want the to talk dinosaurs. About this
0: point about Gary Batman. This is my second of three major points. The first was about the stupidity talking right. about violent video games, but. The point I wanted to make about Gary Bettman is, when he was asked, does the NHL have a culture problem? He's saying the NHL doesn't have a culture problem. And the way Gary Bettman views his job, he is the commissioner of the National Hockey League. And he views it within those bounds. Like, the NHL is my purview. Beyond that, I only think about other areas of hockey when they interact with my kingdom, for lack of a better term. I don't think too much about international hockey until it interacts with the NHL. I don't think too much about junior hockey until it interacts with the NHL. I don't think too much about, you know, other leagues until they interact with the NHL. You see what I mean? Yeah. But I think Gary Bettman, in this particular moment in time, should have considered what he actually is. Which is, when you're the commissioner of the National Hockey League, you are in many ways the most preeminent person on top of the entire sport of hockey. It's not Luke Tardif, the double IHF chair. It's not any other leader of the league. It's not any of the NHL owners. Like you are the face of hockey in many ways. So when he says the NHL doesn't have a culture problem, what he's signaling to everyone else in the sport, the junior leagues, the, you know, the provincial authorities in, um, uh, you know, in Canada, some of the state level, you know, Groups like hockey in Massachusetts, hockey in Minnesota, you know what I mean? Or the beer leagues even. He's saying, oh, we don't have a culture problem. So when he, if he said, in this moment, I don't think we're perfect. We have to be better. This moment shows that we need to be better. I think we've made progress, but we as a sport need to be better. We don't want anything like this you know, to happen on our watch it would have signaled to other areas of the sport, other stakeholders in the sport, ah, we have to be better now, cuz the NHL is, you know, signaling improvement. If whether the NHL knows how to actually improve in those areas is a debate for another day. But do you see what I mean? How Gary Bettman saying that basically is suggesting to other areas of hockey that, you know, the improvements that need to be made to prevent something like this from happening again, you know, If the NHL doesn't have a culture problem. So if hockey has a culture problem, which everybody agrees, and I'll get to that in a second, and the NHL is saying, oh, we don't have a problem. It's not our business, you know, these players, which it is. You know what I mean? You see how that disconnect comes in where I want Gary Bettman to think of himself as, like, the foremost person in the sport of capital
1: H hockey as an institution when he doesn't think of it like that? Gary Bettman views himself as an effigy doll for the owners and for the NHL's profits and for his bottom line money in his own pocket that's how he sees himself he he can go out and say anything and be antagonistic and go and and just you know lie or or misconstrue things or be vague or walk around things or not answer questions what and, and but at the end of the day i don't think he's ever going to say there's a problem in the NHL, whether it's about this, whether it's about revenue, whether it's about the Coyotes, uh, stadium concussions, anything, whether it's about any uh, disagreements with the CBA and and players or rule changes or, you know, the video review or officials, anything, he's always going to say, it's great. It's great. He might think it's a problem behind closed doors and, and say that with, with Colin Campbell and the owners and GMs and, you know, the board of governors and that kind of stuff, like, Hey, we have a problem. We need to do something, but you know that no one's going to publicly go out and say anything because the NHL is very good at button up and very good at, you know, if the NHL doesn't want you talking about something, you don't talk about something. We've seen it with hockey Canada. We've seen it with so many other things If they don't want something talked about they want something buried it gets buried whether it's colin campbell sending an email to get his kid out of a disciplinary hearing whether it's you know saying we don't have a hockey culture problem on the same weekend where there's multiple stories that i've read uh, at different levels in north america that clearly show there's a hockey problem And they're all similar to incidents that happen at the NHL level. I want Gary Bettman to think in that term.
0: And I think, I hope whoever succeeds him, Mm -hmm. probably Bill Daly understands that this is how it works, but I don't think it's going to happen. And it frustrates me. Now there is one other point I want to make about this. And it coincides with, I I think I plugged this on a recent podcast, his book written by uh, Jason Kirk, who's written about college football works at the athletic. It's called hell's world without you. It's about, you know evangelical culture which is something that obviously i would have no familiarity with but when you read the book and you listen to him talk about it it really dawns on you how many similarities there are in some ways with hockey culture and i mean that is disturbing to me it should be disturbing to everybody um and how they don't actually overlap that much in many ways and it's probably for the best because i do see sports where evangelical culture and that type of you know Uh, I'm trying to find the word to put it, but culture, essentially, uh, where they do overlap. And I brought it up to Jason Kirk on the aforementioned Blue Sky. And he doesn't, obviously, not a hockey person in the same way. And he asked, you know, what are the overlaps? And I said, conformity, obviously, that's a big one. Conformity is a huge thing in hockey culture. Evangelical culture has that, too. You know, the tendency to bury news to protect higher ups, you know, that as well. And Jason Kirk made this very interesting point in this uh, response to me on blue sky and he said i love finding all the ways every grouping of people is still just people being people and when i get to talking about this i mean we are fighting in some cases against our worst of our nature when we're trying to change hockey culture and we are because it's so deeply rooted and i said in a post on blue sky earlier like i want to you know, throw hands with somebody who told the hockey col- who told hockey players to be boring when they're some of the weirdest athletes around. And I said, if you wanted to find Patient Zero, you'd have to go back decades. I don't even think you could find Patient Zero at this point. But it brought up to me, you know, about how anytime you get a grouping of human beings, you're going to find you know culture issues and air quotes. In the case of hockey, it's definitely there. When I also talk about how we see the response to stories like this, say, on Twitter or social media, anywhere. What happens when a story like this comes out? Everybody's first instinct is to go and say, hockey culture sucks. Hockey culture sucks. It's hard to like hockey, all of this, right? And I'm not saying that these people are wrong, but I want to make this point as we wrap this discussion up. You can't post your way into solving problems. You can post your way into doing a lot of things in the world, You can't post your way into solving hockey culture. So what I want to focus on as this story is inevitably going to continue and more news will drip out whenever the legal trial begins, you know, however long it takes to get that to begin. My point is, what can we do to make the culture better that isn't just posting hockey culture sucks? because at some point I'm sick and tired of watching people post that hockey culture sucks and think that's going to make things better because it doesn't and I think there are ways individuals can do that
1: you can you can do that in your local community if you're a fan and you see something say see something say something ha uh, but i mean like you know there's plenty of times where there's this story from this past week of the University of Michigan uh, women's coach who was in a beer league and she got hit. It's a non-hit league and she got body checked. And obviously when you get body checked in a non-checked league, usually you end up on the ice because you're not expecting it. And, and then she got taunted and was like, you know, it's a man's league. You have to stay on the ice and all this stuff. And that happens all the time. And like that is if you there's how many men there that could have easily tried to do something to stop that. You know, if your teammates are saying shit that they shouldn't say or perpetuating things that they shouldn't, that's how you can do anything. We unfortunately can't do much at the NHL level outside of our dollars. And how you want to interpret that and put that in action is up to the individual, but you know, locally is really all you can do. What can you do at the USA hockey level or the Hockey Canada level? Um, because event, because you know, eventually the everybody that's in hockey in those local levels is going to grow up, have other hockey players teach them. Eventually, we'll get there. But you know, as long as the whole nhl executive group is these nhl executives i don't know what we can do you're not going to be able to convince them by writing letters or protests or posting or anything like that um but you know there's things you can do uh you know brock's i think is finishing up 100 and 100 right yep you know speaking and and he said this and he
0: said this to me he said this publicly like i mean it's exhausting what he's doing but like, there is no playbook to do this. You know, nobody yeah. thought of this as a problem for many years until people eventually came to the realization, whenever you came to the realization that it was a problem, that it was a problem. So yeah. now you have to find your own way, your own path, right, to figuring this out. Because it just, I don't know if it's about you, I don't know if some of you listening also feel the same way, I really hope some of you hear this and think, well, how can we make this better? If you see something on social media and you see people using language or, you know, tropes that don't make sense, that are harmful, just call it out. Like, okay, you might get into an argument with an idiot on Twitter. Block them then, you know? This is what you have to do because the culture is not going to change from the top down at this point. We've already, we already know that. And so if you want to prevent things like this from happening again, or you want hockey culture to be better, you have a little bit of impetus on yourself to try and find a way. That has been my point this whole time. Obviously, why hockey's not as big as I'd like it to be. Please, by the way, if yeah. you're on iTunes or Spotify or whatever, give us a five-star review if you like some of these discussions or you like hearing about problems with the Panthers five games before Paul Maurice says it's a problem. You can then rate us and subscribe us. Well, more than three stars, please. And then more people will listen. And what I try to do on this show is talk about my experiences being who I am and being in this position that I am. And that's all I can use with what tiny platform I have. But it's incumbent on individuals to try to build up, you know, the ways that which we can tackle hockey culture because you can... It just that it's going to take a lot of us doing it on a small level to build it up from the ground up, basically.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just to put a final button on it. um, You know, you said it's the thing about you know people being people in in any culture. You know, just saying hockey culture, it's not this like thing you can't access. Um, And and how do you change it? Well, how do teams change their locker room culture? How did how did you know if you played hockey? If you played team sports, you knew what bad locker room culture was and what good locker room culture was. Things that made everyone better, made it a positive environment people wanted to be in versus what made it a environment people felt like it was a chore to be in or emotionally exhausting to be in. Or, you know, they always had to walk on eggshells or it was uncomfortable. It was, you know, it wasn't about. It wasn't, hockey wasn't centered, they weren't comfortable, etc. You know, we've, I, that's how I vision it. Like, what did we do to make our locker rooms positive atmospheres? And if you can do that in your hockey circle, I think you will go a long way.
0: Hockey circles touch each other, because the sport in the end is still pretty
1: small. But with consent.
0: Yes, of course. And now... As we we're talking about Robert Doolittle, I have to move on to another subject that I need to rant about. This will be less ranting than the, um, the, hopefully hockey Canada stuff, but it's about journalism. I have to talk about it sometimes. And in the last three weeks, Big there have J. been even mother, even more stupid stuff in journalism. You saw what happened with Sports Illustrated being run by some idiot who is an energy drinks. Yeah, because that's the person who should be running one of the most famous brands at Sports Sports Illustrated. The messenger running the worst business model that everyone could have told you was stupid and blowing up after a year and denying people health insurance and coverage and all of this and more layoffs. And I just wanted to make this point, and this will interface with the start of our Panthers discussion, which is coming shortly. (laughs) It will, I promise. Private equity is awful. They are leeches. Private equity should not be in journalism. Private equity should not be in the medical field. It shouldn't be in nursing homes. It shouldn't be in a lot of these things. Because all you're thinking about is efficiency. And efficiency is uh, a code word for cutting things down to the bone so the people at the top can make more money and use it on their third yacht. Which, you don't need a third yacht, guys. So, private equity is horrible. But if you're going to be in journalism, you got to invest in your product, man. And that means paying for good journalists to do good journalism. It's expensive. And that also requires people to realize that if you want good journalism, you might have to pay for it. And that means you might have to pay for The Athletic. You might have to pay for The Philadelphia Inquirer. You might have to pay for, not Why hockey In another universe, you might have to pay for Y-Hockey Patreon shows, but not now. <laughs> but if you find independent media you like, or if you find something that you feel important to pay for, Florida hockey now falls into this too, you got to pay for it. You got to think of it like a subscription for everything else. And I understand that people think journalism and all this stuff should be free. You used to have to pay for your newspaper when it was delivered every day, and some of you still do. You gotta pay for it. And that is the way you support the journalists doing the journalism you want when it comes to sports, but also the journalism you need, covering Hockey Canada or covering anything else going on in the world. You need to pay for it. And that includes the people running these ships. You have to invest in journalism and the people doing the work because you cut corners on it, your product is devalued, and people aren't going to be willing to pay for it. The biggest value in your company, I don't care what company it is, but particularly in journalism, is not the people running it. You are not the value. The value comes from the product itself. And if the product you're selling is journalism, you invest in the product. It will make money on its own if people realize the product is good and they will buy it. If you... We're thinking about Sports Illustrated when we were growing up. It was the height of sports journalism Anyways, many ways that people paid for it because that was the standard. Being on the cover of Sports Illustrated was the biggest thing you could have in sports. In music, it was being on the cover of Rolling Stone, right? P- people paid for it because it was the authority. And yeah. now, as people are draining the industry for all it's worth because these are leeches who don't know what they're doing, you're realizing... That you don't have
1: a good product if you keep taking something out of it. I think, I think there's a lot of people who are willing to pay for things if it's of quality. And I think the problem you get is they don't always get quality. And it's, it's not the, always the writer's fault. Um, you know, it's alignment
0: from the management of the culture. At the top to the bottom if the
1: management and the board and all these people well no think think about what they're trying to sell though like now they're trying to get you to pay for a website where you scroll and it's not that great to read like to i mean have you really tried to sit and read long-form articles online on your phone or on a tablet on like you have to like if you really want to do it you have to like customize your browser and like you know Yeah, but Sports Illustrated, when we grew up, it was tangible. I remember the sort of like the the cards that were in, the little cards that you know, there was some there was I'd always, you know, you'd always flip to the back and and get the get the feature on the back. And you know, like I always read magazines from the back now because of that. And like it was something tangible and impactful and it was worth paying X amount a month or X amount a year to get it because you got something with it. Now you're getting AP stories that are basically rewritten or these stories where every sentence is a new paragraph and it's, there's all these ads and it's kind of like blipping and blopping all over. It's not, you know, it's not in a great template because of course this company doesn't pay anybody good, to design their, their layout. And it's just, you know, kind of a defaulted lab that they slap together and are just using. And it's just so, it's so annoying. Like,
0: but isn't there a market then that can there be is exploited a market. for There's this a, stuff? Because there, there is. is. And what I'm saying
1: here is look at, look at vinyl sales, like the, the CD sales, like people are desperate to own things. Now, if you give them something to own, you give them something worthwhile to own. And yeah, and now we can't even have physical
0: media anymore. The idea that some of these companies are talking about is basically, oh, you can buy it, but you don't own it. Like, stop. Yeah. No, 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 no. Like, we're seeing this with video games. See this with music. Quit it. People want something tangible that feels like they yeah. have paid a good money for, and that's journalism too. And it doesn't have to be necessarily a physical form, but... This is what I'm saying, like, maybe it's something like, as I said, my friends at Split Zone Duo who do a really good job. You pay for it. You get what you pay for. You get good quality content, good quality journal. I hate the word content, but you know what I mean. Right. And there are other – there's a podcast on soccer analytics. They'll Double Pivot, and they give you that value. You know, there are people out there who do – you know, Puck Soup has some of that. Like, if you are willing to pay those independent creators – then it shows you that the market is there. The demand has never been higher for sports talk or music or any of this. It's just these companies at the top run by idiots. The companies,
1: the companies aren't paying for creators. They're paying for content. You're not paying for somebody who you know can just go out and make interesting things. You're paying because you want x amount of articles to get x amount of clicks or x amount of eyeballs or x amount of ad views per week, or per day, or And and is that business model working for you there, guys? No, clearly it isn't. No, because, I mean, and same with streaming music. I mean, this can be a part... I can talk about anything on this podcast, but I mean... I mean, we could go into a rant about so many different areas here. If the world's going to be digital, we have to figure out a way to pay people appropriately for their work in the digital sphere. And if we can't, then we're going to have we're just going to keep going, cascading down as a society, and we're going to have a larger gap between the haves and the have nots. And it's going to eventually result in that sci fi. Anyway, I want to
0: make this one point before we transition to talking about actual hockey. 40 minutes into the show, by the way, I told you this was going to be a long <laughs> one, and I wasn't lying. All time stamps help. And the, the time stamps, that's why I put them in every show. This is to say, if you see, it was my New Year's resolution, which nobody follows those, but it was my New Year's resolution. (laughs) If you see work you like, that you feel is valuable, then you have to shout it out. You have to support it, social media, wherever you find it, because this gives people the confidence to make quality stuff. Because right now, what you get is... AI written garbage that nobody likes. Everybody knows is garbage and you devalue your content and you devalue your brand and people don't want to pay for it. I'm sorry. At some point, capitalism doesn't work if your product stinks. And at this point, all of your products stink. People running journalism uh, outside of very few places. So if you want to make money, you don't take away. You have to give, you have to be patient and you can't be thinking about growth at all costs nonsense. It doesn't work. This is a tech thing. This is a this is an everything thing. Yeah. And it's affecting journalism. And people are starting to come around to the grift. People are turning. We've seen the Apple Vision Pro. People are turning around to the grift now. And once you've gotten the public to turn on you, because the public gave you you know free will to do whatever you wanted for a long time. People have turned, the worm has turned, and once the public turns on you, and the public is turning on you in journalism, and it also comes to the other thing that is part of this. Writers' unions aren't doing enough to save the sinking ship because the people at the top don't know what they're doing. But what they are doing is pointing out to everyone that these business models stink, and the people at the top don't know what they're doing. And the writers shouldn't know more about the business in their unions or wherever than the people at the top. The fact that they do is a giant problem. So it's incumbent on these people. You're going to have to be patient. You're not going to be able to make your dividends in certain quarters. Too bad. The second yacht's not necessary. Figure out a way to create a good product, first and foremost. That is what is most important. Taking money out of it, you know, private equity ghouls, it's not going to work that way because people are, are starting to tune into the grift. And it's not working. I'm not saying all private equity is a grift. I'm just saying the people in journalism are definitely grifters. Anyway,
1: yeah. Transitioning to
0: the Florida Panthers.
1: Make your own media. Make your own media. Make your own media. Yeah.
0: Make. I, I understand that you know being your own marketing agent is is terrible, and it is. It sucks.
1: But, That's why we don't do it.
0: <laughs> well, we. I try in some ways, but I'm not very good at it. The point is, if you see it, shout it out. Say that you like it. Give it a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Please, we thank you very much for your support. Or pay for it on Patreon or Substack, even if Substack financially supports Nazis at times, and it's very annoying. But
1: American Corporation doesn't.
0: uh, Anyway, we now get to talk about the Florida Panthers. And I'm starting our discussion by doing exactly what I said I was just going to do, which is shouting out a piece from somebody who I didn't know about until I read this beautiful article on Monday that you sent to me. It's it's Eric Schumacher at CBJ P-O-C-K-E on uh, Twitter. And he wrote about the Florida Panthers' defensive structure and it's, you know, essentially pocketcbj.substack.com and it's one of the best things I've seen written about hockey tactics, perhaps ever. It's beautifully done. It's thoroughly researched, it has video, it uses stats, it's exactly the kind of stuff that we want to see more of, it's the kind of stuff that I wish I could write, and I'm not good enough to, evidently, which, all right, fine, people out there are better than me, don't care who it is, and so, Eric, at Matt's Musings One on Twitter, if you want, you know, some support in writing, and some tips, because I think you've got a lot of potential, a lot of talent, I'd be happy to help. And I want everybody to read this piece. If you haven't read it already, I've retweeted it on Twitter. I posted it on Blue Sky as well. Please go read it. It's fantastic. This is what I'm talking about. If you see it, shout it out. Because I want Eric to feel that he's done really good work. And I think he has. And I want those kinds of people to be inspired to do more. And realize that your work has value. Even if you're not getting necessarily paid for it the support you get when you see Corey Snyder saying this is really good or Dmitry Filipovic saying this is really good, that feels so valuable. And there is no better feeling, I think, than watching somebody read your work or listen to what you do and go, yeah, I agree with it. That's really awesome. So, Eric, really, really well done. Congratulations on writing an incredible piece. Just so happens it's about the Panthers, so it ties in nicely to our discussions, but... I know you like that because you sent it to me. And, I mean, do you agree? Like, I, I think this is one of the best things I've seen written about the Panthers by anybody.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was, a compen- It was you know... It's comprehensive. It was, it, yeah, I mean, it was putting together what was said by, you know, Belfry and, and Filipovich and, and Corey and, and stuff we've said on our show. It's taking all of what they
0: say and applying it to yeah. studying something that, in a way that, i think is really concise really well done in showing how something like this can be written but also making me smarter i haven't thought about it in certain tactical aspects of the way the panthers play that i now see when you i watched the game last night and saw some i
1: would i i guess that's where i'm a little upset because it's like well i guess you don't listen to me every time i talk well (laughs) i do i do i do But I do listen to you. Trust
0: me, my views on hockey have changed because I talk to you on a weekly basis pretty much.
1: But, uh, I mean, it was a really good piece. I really liked it. I mean, obviously I sent it to you and I wanted to talk about it. Um, You know, it's... When, if you can... I think it's really important for, for people to not only understand what the Panthers are doing but understand it from an X's and O's perspective, like, okay, let's just take, let's just like remove the fact that it's the Panthers and Maurice and the, these players and Barkov so good at it. Let's just think about how they're using these positional players and how they're using, you know, how they're building a team and and, and just take it and apply that to the kind of the sport of hockey. And you can really, I think to me, You can understand how hockey should be played in this new emerging game and what the best flavor of that kind of new hockey is, in my opinion. Um, I think
0: it also helps that when you hear players talking about tactics, it's obviously, in most cases, very boring and dry, and hockey also as a sport is not one where we've talked a lot about X's and O's. I've talked about this with Jack Hahn or Corey uh, on this show and everybody else who is more into the tactical aspects of the game. Um, when you follow football, everybody knows about certain defenses, certain schemes. Basketball, we have a concept of, you know, of zone versus man and, you know, pick and roll off, things like that, right? Soccer, it's a huge part of the discussion tactics all the time. Hockey is not really there. And I think stories like this and what Eric wrote gives you a simple idea because it looks like chaos when you're watching it, but you realize when you read and you watch the clips go together, you realize there's a, a structure to it, ideas to it, because you hear the term systems and you go, what does that actually mean? But when you read this story and you hear the Panthers defensemen say, it's a really fun system to play and it's really easy for us, and you read this story it makes it clear why it's easy.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of work that goes into that too, in in setting that up and stuff. And and it's something that is why I don't do many writing pieces anymore. And I, you know, it's something that it it requires so much work to pull all of that research together, pull all that video, put it down in the right order and kind of figure out the most concise way to say it, but also saying everything. Uh, But, you know, not just to talk about the piece, not just to talk uh, about that. But I think what I mean from the piece, if if I was going to tell anybody, you know, what to take from it was just how how that piece shows the shape of play. And we've used that word on this podcast before that the Panthers are aiming for. It's not necessarily if X happens, Y then happens. It's much more about you know keeping a certain shape of play and being able to play off instincts where you know whatever whatever play happens, there's there's a there's a movement as a team together. and And that, I think, is something that the panthers definitely haven't had before. But I think we've kind of lost some in the years of running gun hockey. Uh, with the Panthers and the NHL in general where I think now you're starting to see some teams have success um, with, with, with different sort of augmenting styles around that mobility that allows you to have a fast up and down game.
0: What is interesting when you read this piece and he talks about, Eric does, about how the Panthers defensemen aren't necessarily fast but it's the way they use their speed and where it's used. You know what I mean? Like, it isn't just the concept of this in a vacuum. It's the concept, I think, of when you're building a structure, and when you're putting a team together, how do you want to play Is is part of it, but then how do you utilize the talent you have? And we've talked a lot about how Paul Maurice last year did a really good job of maximizing things certain players were good at and minimizing their weaknesses. What... You get from reading this, particularly about the Panthers defense, which is another reason why we're a big fan of this is because they're talking about Panthers defensemen and we do that all the time here. It's basically saying this is how they use those talents and how they minimize when they're struggling, right? And I think that you watch a game the Flyers game. The reason why this podcast is being recorded when it is, is because it happened after the Y Hockey Classico, so to speak. We always like to do at least one of those a year. And you watch it. And I know they didn't, the Panthers didn't play particularly well, but you see elements of what they're trying to do. And that breakdown of where someone is positioned, what the defense are being asked to do. And also breaking down the concept of what does it mean to play a simple system and what is shown is, in pretty clear terms, this is what being simple actually looks like. You're not asking your defensemen to make many decisions because they're already aware, if X happens, then I need to do Y, and there aren't many of those branching pathways. You know what I mean? You could have a very complicated system where you're asking players to do intricate things in the defensive zone, to, and then... That means you can't play off instinct anymore. And this piece shows how you can play off instinct from a defensive point of view and how that sets up your offense.
1: Yeah, I I agree. But there's also, um, like, I mean, there's a lot, like there's man to man. I mean, that is something where you're allowing your team to play more off of instinct and more off of just, um, you know, a lot of the switches and stuff on man to man on instinct. But a lot of it is just your the instincts of your players defending one on one and that's what you're relying on um and it could be taught too like you can teach people how to do that yeah i mean like there's def- the thing about this style that i i think is it doesn't see doesn't see defensemen being offensive as being a forward or um, being uh, uh, one of the Quinn or Luke Hughes, you know, end to end rushes or going Campbell around Carr. the zone. Yeah. Like it's not built on that. It's built on, you know, the team support is really tight. There's a lot of five in the picture with this team. You only, like you said, you only have to go fast in straight lines for little bits of ice. You don't have to go skating all over the place. You don't have to be such a thoroughbred in that sense because the support's always there. They, they have their D much closer together, much better supporting this year. So the D know that, you know, I will always have support. Not always will I always have support from my partner. I will always have support from an F3, usually the center. So that's where they can play on instinct. That's where they don't have to worry about getting beat. You don't have to worry about, am I going to get to this puck? Because you know that if I don't get to this puck, I trust the, my teammates to pick up the slack behind me. I know they're going to be there. I know the system's designed. That as long as I pressure forward as with all I got and try to make them make a mistake... We can keep the puck in the zone. We can keep pressure on them or we can get it back and regroup. And and one of the breakdowns
0: here that I really liked was again, and it was also the best part about this was showing that these were from recent games. It's not from stuff in the past, you know, like these were from the Kings and Predators game. So they just happened and the breakdowns show you, Oh, if you lose the puck, then all the defensemen are being asked to do is you're not asked to sprint all the way back. You're just asked to move within a certain area up and down the wall, hold the blue line, things like that, right? And it gives you a chance to keep the puck in the offensive zone and cycle and reload and do this over and over again. And this is what we're talking about, where the defenseman can have a fun system because it allows them to be active in the play, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, I don't want to say belittle them, it doesn't treat them as lesser than the forwards. It treats them as part of one machine. And I think that is different than how defense have often been viewed. Like we talked, we joked many years ago, if you listen to why hockey about how the, you know, Bob Bugner Jack Capuano system relied on defensemen for offense, but it didn't look like this. This looks so much better than that.
1: They're not relying on their defense for offense. They're relying on their defense to prolong possession. They're relying on their defense to apply pressure they're relying on their defense to get pucks back quick they're not relying on their defense to be the offense and that is that is totally different and that was my second point the way that they are thinking about hockey is not so one-dimensional is not so static as a lot of people are with how do we get more you know defense is more offensive these days um the panthers like our, my second point was the Panthers see centers as defensemen too. They don't see them as somebody that needs to score every shift or, you know, has the same responsibility as the wingers or even the wingers. Like, if a forward does a whole shift and all they do is just defensive duties, that's good. That's winning their shift. If on a lot of other teams and a lot of other systems, that's not true. You know, like it's incumbent on the the centers to score. It's incumbent on the centers to cheat for offense. It's incumbent on the centers. You know, the centers aren't always the F three because the centers get greedy and they, they stay up in the play in in Florida. The centers are usually F three because they're the ones tasked with coming back. They wouldn't be the centers if they weren't the ones that the coach wanted to be back in that situation. And uh, when we joked about Alexander Barkov would, you know, likes to backcheck, like, this to is north. what we're talking about. Like, I mean, against the Flyers, the, the a couple, how many times did they try to get it out of the blue line around him? And he, they couldn't like, he, and he was just covering for a defenseman, just being better than most defensemen covering for a defenseman. I mean, you saw Sam drop back into that position too at times. Yeah. Like
0: you always see a forward. If the defenseman has activated up the wall and is further in the play, there's always a forward back there. Yeah. It's usually the center,
1: but it's sometimes it isn't. Here's why it's better. Because when you try to have your defensemen be the offense and be forwards, you're never going to win. Because defensemen will never be better. The top offensive defensemen will never be better at offense than the top forwards. If they were, they would be forwards. But you 100% can have a center that's better than some than a lot of defensemen. You 100% can. And and you can have them be just as good. You know, Bennett is can be just as good defensively as third pair defensemen. Barkov can be better than any defenseman or just as good as any defenseman in the league defensively. You know, Lundell is probably better than most defensemen in a, in a lot of aspects. And they and they're comfortable. They perf- they they like it. They see the challenge in it. And that is something a lot of centers don't have anymore. Centers are a lot more uh, higher in the zone. They they have a lot of different responsibilities than they used to. Not so in Maurice's system. And and I think to me, if I would always rather have much more rely on forwards to play defense than relying on defensemen to play offense. And I think I think just, th- I think that's just the, flipping the, the that is takeaway. Such a,
0: and I think that's if you want your signpost for the show and the signpost for this piece we're talking about, you'd rather have forwards play defense than defensemen, you know, play forward basically.
1: I, that, I was I was gonna say Tate McRae is better than Taylor Swift. But, oh,
0: oh, okay. Uh, um, okay. Alrighty about that. But you know what I mean. But like when you see that and you watch the Panthers play, like there is a, like you even if you can't explain it. There is method like it looks like there's method to their madness. It looks like they have constructed something that is well thought out that comes from management and coaching staff working together saying this is what we need. This is what we need to find in the way that we play or the way that I think we can play. And look, it evaded me last year until eventually I caught on to what it was, but they weren't doing it very well until the playoffs. Then they started doing it well, but this kind of system, why this, why the Panthers are where they are. It, yes. They have a lot of elite players in that helps. I, I,
1: I think they, they had parts of the system and they, and they just really in the playoffs last year, they, they nailed the spirit of the system. More so than actually doing it this year. I mean, in the defensive zone, it the defensive support is not like anything you've seen with the Panthers in the last twenty years. Um, The consistency that a Panther defenseman can go back, get a puck, and not look and know where his partner is and hit him with a pass quickly is like I I think you could probably do all. 20 first 26 years of the Florida Panthers existence of those types of plays in just this year of the Panthers, because it's like they just know where they're supposed to be. They're dependable. They get to their spots on time. And to me, it's because of Barkov Barkov's a captain Barkov's the leader. He aligns with the coach's philosophy and everything else is built around that. You have Matthew Kachuk, who wants to be part of that, believes Barkov should be the leader in that respect, and he's going to do the other stuff. And after that, it's just cascading good decisions and guys who buy in and work hard. We'll get to all the we'll get to the little bits of problems. I mean, the the same things we've been talking about all year, um, and they're the good problems to have, I guess, if you have to have any problems, they're the slight ones, but. You know they're putting together a winning mentality because there's accountability, and maybe it's not accountability on hitting the net or scoring in some of the ways that we would want, but there's accountability that um, a lot of players will lose their job if you do not have 100% defensive effort, if you do not 100% attack the puck, if you can't get out of your head and and be aware. In, inside of a game and live in the moment. Um, if you can't, you know, like there are some things that the standards of what it takes to just be an everyday player, I think, on the Panthers has risen and it fits this system so well that you get good system results. Again, it's not perfect. There's a couple players who it's like they kind of fit the system, but they're not getting results and you can upgrade them, but. But like
0: when we talked about how Oliver ekman Larson's had a a really good year, you know, and how Nico Mikula has been better than you, you weren't the biggest fan of that signing. I was a fan. I
1: I I was a fan of the signing. I. You thought they were better. I wasn't a fan of the appro the approach that they did. I I'm, obviously I've let soften my stance but i always am of the opinion and i still am they need a more dynamic defenseman and at my my thought was there's no way paul maurice is going to be able to make all left-handed defensemen work when he couldn't put one pairing on the ice in his last like 800 games coached that were the same handedness so like that's what i had a trouble with i like I, I, I still don't think Mikola is somebody who's the first pairing answer to Ekblad, which a lot of people th- said or were hoping he'd be. There's still room to grow. We'll see what he is through the contract. I, I like him. I, I still have concerns. I think he's the he's that good second, third pair left side defenseman that they can use defensively. Uh, and but they still need a fo- another t- Forsling on the left hand side and another Forsling on the right hand side. Um, I mean, I mean, we we haven't talked about how like insane Gustav Forsling's season
0: has been enough. I yeah. know, I know that last night because we're watching he's, the Flyer He's he's finally
1: getting Norris love. He actually is. If you see like the Athletic or Evolving Wild or some, he's usually like five or six or something. Colby David crazy.
0: George. Gustav yeah. Forsling, I know it would be people would think it's a homer pick, oh, but I he should be on your ballots
1: for the Norris. They, I'm, I 100% expect them to be on the Panthers' ballots because um, it's 100% defensible. You, you can't look at that plus-minus. You can't look at the time on ice he does. You can't even just watch the tape and say, He doesn't deserve to be a top 10 defenseman. Once again,
0: looking at this piece.
1: If not high. It's
0: all about Gustav Forsling off the top of it pretty much. I
1: mean, and that's why we, when, when we, when they got him off waivers, we said, keep, let's do it. We were hyped about it. I mean, I didn't think it was going to look like this, but. He's not the most talented defenseman. He's not the most skilled. He just plays the right way and he goes all out. And just having enough skill you know, and enough IQ and enough, you know, this and that he's good. He's good enough at everything, but he just plays the right way. And that's why we've been, that's why it's been so painful for me to see how long it's taken the Panthers to get to this point. And, you know, I I know we still have to wait probably through to maybe trade deadline next year or this. uh, Well, I shouldn't say that this off season is going to be very big on defense. Yes, it Um, is. But I want them to keep moving towards having three to four Gustav Forslings, and then I don't care what, and you know, and Ekblad, three three Forslings and Ekblad, and then two. I don't care what the other two defensemen are. That that's what my two Mikolas. Yeah. Perfect. A Mikula and a Mahora, Mahora or a Mikla and a revolving young defenseman, Lincis. who cares? Yeah. yeah. Well, but Lincis isn't young, but... Well, yeah. he's close enough to that. But I think, like, it—it it
0: is not talking about just the defensemen as really good. You're talking about defensemen as a part of the team concept as to why they are really good. And... That's the difference. Like, Gustav Forsling, you look at the – I hate plus minus. We all do. But if you see the number, you go, oh, it's really good what's happening there. And then you put all of this analysis together and you see, oh, this is why
1: he's that good. He's that good because he does what Barkov does offensively but defensively. Like, he's just always on the right side of his checks. He's always behind. I mean, behind he had partner. a bad pass last night that led to yeah. a goal against, but that's going to happen. Yes, he he turned on his Montour brain, and then Montour turned on his Forsling brain and got beat when he was swimming around the blue line. Although it was a fantastic pass by Faraby, I can't really hate that too much.
0: No, um, I, I don't. I'm
1: I'm not but, blaming Gustav Forsling for one bad pass of a season I, where he's no, been incredible. No, but like he's he's the type of defenseman that just does everything right enough. I mean, yes, he's a first pairing defenseman, but like he should not be the number one defenseman bar in a way on a team that goes this far uh i I say that not because like he's not good because if I was building a team, there'd already be so many defense like i I, I just you'd have Gustav Forsling with a little bit more they're you know getting what I mean? there they're they're figuring it out that having defensemen who are 100% committed to playing the position of defense first and and managing pucks and getting pucks into the right hands at the right time and working hard and just being happy to do that and play your role. Oh man, like this team would this team could win cups, multiple cups if they get a couple more of that because that's think of, that's what they're doing with their forwards. They're getting wingers who are okay with that. They're getting centers who are okay with that. They're turning the centers that they have, like Bennett, into a guy who he's going to be okay if he's not scoring, if he's doing the defensive stuff and he's getting the praise. Again, as I said last night, we were watching
0: the Flyers broadcast of it. And did you hear Jim Jackson's like, he hasn't scored in 16 games, but he's got Barkoff and he's got 19 assists. And Brian Boucher kind of chuckles at that. It's like... You, you don't oh, yeah. think about it that way, but then you hear it and you go, oh, right, and Barkov would probably go, I don't care.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you know? well, I mean, uh, how many how many goals do center defensive midfielders get? It's very few, yes. And how many goals does Musa Dembele have? He didn't yeah, have that I mean, many. I mean, he's Modric for Croatia. Like, I mean, his job is... Well, I guess it's more Modric for Real Madrid. But, you know, his job is not necessarily finish plays, especially with the way Reinhardt's going. And Verhege. The reason Reinhardt's going so much is because Barkov's feeding him so much. Barkov can't feed him so much if Barkov's shooting so much. The goals are going, it doesn't matter. The issue is not Barkov, Reinhardt, Kachuk, or Verhege. The issue is everybody else behind them. Lesser extent, Bennett, because uh, I think his is just a games played issue. His, his pace is solid enough. But if you look at, you know, Rodriguez, uh, you know, if it, it's just like the top four goal scorers for the Panthers, man. Like, So you made a comment to me before we started
0: recording because once again, oh yes. I'm not here to toot my own horn, our own horn. But why hockey oftentimes brings up a problem about five games before Paul Maurice brings up a problem, as a problem. Remember shoot, remember uh, finishing uh, back in December? Eventually, Paul Maurice brought it up, and now the Panthers fan base is starting to do the same thing we did a while ago, which is basically say, hey, there's one thing missing in this forward group. It's a middle six scoring winger, somebody who can finish. And now we're starting to see more of that. And yep. I think last night, because the Panthers looked so out on their feet after the first 15 minutes, everyone started to think of you know, hey, let's do name some guys, but players who kind of scored in middle six roles for the Panthers in the past, and it just brings back bad
1: memories. I gotta be honest Panthers with you, I've past. been, I've been seeing this since before All Star break. I've been seeing this for a while. Like, let's bring back Mike Hoffman. Oh man, wouldn't the Panthers? uh not to uh i i know this one was more in jest uh and fit but like oh brett Connolly would be great on i thought that right was going to be a decent sign. Um,
0: i really did
1: oh okay <laughs> um you were right on that one because you hated it um, i mean like there, it every, like there are is always going to be nhlers who can't do anything but shoot and every once in a while they're gonna have a year where they shoot really well, and you don't want to sign them after that year. And the Panthers did.
0: Did you know that Mike Hoffman has the longest point streak in Panthers history? Because I didn't realize that until they kept flashing I mean, up the Sam Reinhart graphic. Listen,
1: if Mike Hoffman is not a player to retread, no, of course not. Unless but you're still. playing for the draft lottery. Uh, I mean, he like he was. Good enough while he was here. He's gone. It's done. It's dusted. Get a different guy who can shoot. And again, the easiest uh, and and I and this is this is this is um, almost contradict This is almost blasphemous. It's so contradictory. But the easiest skill set for a professional NHLer to have is a shot. Even though the hardest thing to do is score. Just having a shot. Did you just isn't describe enough. Owen Tippett? <laughs> well i mean but i mean like that's why there's always so many guys there because there's like and there's guys who can like on the power play in their spot or when they're going or whatever they can score but it's so hard to score consistently it's so hard to get guys who are just good finishers have good habits and can do that i mean yeah Tippett's another guy that they people have been saying can you imagine if we had Tippett now and everything if we had if we brought back Tippett now, I think he would decline. If if we had Tippett all the way through, he wouldn't have grown. Uh, he, he's a much better fit for Philly. Tortorella does similar things, but it's different. It's a different style. It's much looser. Yeah, but, like, it's not... Tippett's not going to fit in a system where defense is a priority. You know, he's not... And his IQ is not... I mean, he... His defensive skill, his puck management, and his IQ and his penalty taking is Nick Cousins level. I I'm not like I think I'm happy he's doing well, but Florida needs and I said this I don't care who it is, but I think it's a left-handed shot who can play the right wing and the left wing, but and that they can that they either see with Barkov or they see with Lundell and go out and get somebody that you think can finish that I don't care who it is. I, you know, I, you can say a name and I'll have an immediate reaction and maybe it's good. Maybe it's bad, but it has nothing to do with how they'd probably be with Florida. We know it's a little different with Florida and we know that the pro scouts in Florida absolutely know what they're doing. And most of the times they knock it out of the park. You can always forgive them. Steven Lawrence because they always you know, that's few and far between. Um, and when it comes to the scoring winger, I don't care if it's Tarasenko, I don't care, you know, Kuzmenko, Kuzmenkov Kuzmetsov or whatever. You know, we talked about him. Uh, he's got traded well, to Calgary. Kuzmenko
0: did get traded to Calgary, yes. But
1: like, you know, I I don't care who is the name, but I think that they need a left hand shooter who can play both wings and either play. With Lundell or Barkov, because I, I I want that one I want that offhand shot on the right side, um, and if you know whether that so that's right wing for Lundell or maybe you put him on the right wing with Barkov or you have him on the left wing and you keep Reinhardt up there. It allows you to do all three of, the, of those things, um, and it allows Maurice to choose what he wants to do. But I think they need to get a left-handed shot. You can play both sides and can finish, uh, and will fit with Barkov and Lundell, who are similar players. So it's not a crazy ask. But to me, I think last
0: night because they brought back Nick Cousins again. Speaking of players who you know, not the biggest what is, fans of. The I,
1: world. and listen, I, we've been saying the nicest things about Maurice, but I, and I, and I get what he's trying to do. He's trying to set the tone. Okay, back from All Star break, we're headed. This is de- this is now starting the stretch into the playoffs yada yada you know but Mackie earned that spot I don't care if you throw him in the third line with Lindell and stuff but like I don't think Cousins deserved to get back in right away he's not been good this year nope but I wanted to make
0: my point about Nick Cousins vis-a-vis that line because there was that one stat someone brought up I don't remember when it was but it was basically I, it might have been an opposing broadcast, I don't remember, but it was basically the Panthers had two goals from their bottom six in December and both were low And I was like, ah, you know why that is? Who's playing on that line with them? Oh, it's Nick Cousins, that's a problem. Yeah. Like, Nick Cousins, unfortunately, he doesn't fit with that line. I know they said nice things about him, and that's fine. But that's
1: I what don't you expect them think,
0: to say I would expect them to do that, but I just don't think think it works they need somebody who can they don't need anybody to help them with defense they're a2 low terrain and an Anton Lindell that's not going to be the problem but when they get to the offensive zone they need somebody who can help them finish more plays and that doesn't mean put the puck in the net that means get to those positions where they can finish those plays and Nick Cousins doesn't help you with that and on the other Nick Cousins discussion you already know who two of your three fourth-liners are going to be. They're not going to take Stenland out, and Lomberg doesn't
1: do as many stupid things. I have all... F- the fourth line is set. He's better than... Ga- Gajovic is better than Cousins. That line... you with that? Lockwood's like, better than Cousins, honestly. No, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no... Like, that fourth line, I, you, I, I don't need Cousins or Lawrence for that fourth line. You can keep one of them as a body, but I would like to... M- I mean, maybe you keep both of them, but you're going to have to waive somebody to add somebody in, and you're waving one of those two guys, um, or you're moving one of those two guys to bring somebody in, and they need to bring somebody in. I I, I think that they 100% need to get a veteran right-hand defenseman just as an option for Maurice in the playoffs, just so they have another right-handed option. It doesn't hurt. You're hoping to play 20-plus games in the postseason. You never know what's going to happen. Don't force yourself into bringing up, you know, into playing Canoonen or Benning if the coach isn't going to actually play them or trust them or whatever. If you can go out and pay a third or fourth or whatever to get somebody, you know, to 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 play, that, that'd that be great. Lost you know, in all this. Also, can I bring up the Mackie? Minutes that we
0: saw before the yeah. All Star break, and yeah. it wasn't just that Mackie was playing, like that. That was nice, and it wasn't also just that he got Barkov minutes. Now everybody looks good with Alexander Barkov, but it's hard to play with him, as Sam Reinhardt has kind of explained. But Paul Maurice made a comment after the Islander game, and Colby asked this question. Good on you, Colby. This this is what we like to see. What did you see in putting Mackie back with Lundell and Losuridin? And Paul Maurice said, "I asked Bill." When I brought him up, I want to see him play with Lundell and Los Stranen. And I thought to myself, once again, why hockey is on the forefront of Panthers' analysis, in this case kind of by accident, but they brought up a player with the express purpose of putting him on a certain line and seeing what was going to happen.
1: That's yeah. what you should have been doing the I whole time. I, I know, but like, so I don't want to clap my hands too much for them and everything, and you know, I... Listen, I think Mackie is your tenth top nine forward in the same way that Lockwood is your fourth fourth liner. That's a good way of putting it. Actually, I think
0: that's a really good
1: way. And of putting you need it. to find you need to replace Cousins and to have somebody that Samuskavage has to beat out. And in the meantime, give Samuskavage the minutes because it's not like Cousins is earning them. If I mean, if you're going to put uh, Stenlin up on the third line and put Lachlan on the fourth line or something like that. Um, okay. Okay. But if you're taking Sam Miskevige out for Cousins, I don't see it other than that's just based on last year's playoffs, which has not been replicated since. Uh, so I don't know. I... But I, I trust them. I trust them overall, and I think they they, eventually, they get that winger at the deadline. I don't know. You know, maybe it's not as good as they are hoping for, but I do think they go out and make a trade. Uh, they make one trade for, for a forward, and if they can make a second trade, it will be for a defenseman. Uh, it kind
0: of feels like a... I, like I'm not saying because Vegas last year did Ivan Barbashev I'm not saying it's going to be Ivan Barbashev but it kind of feel maybe not the same player but I think like Barbashev that's...
1: would be pretty good I mean I'm I'm thinking you might get somebody you don't really know yeah like <laughs> you know you know like, I, I think that but what I'm saying is
0: that's the kind of pool they're swimming in they're not swimming at the top of the pool you know because they don't know why not
1: why not they do need that. I mean, you're looking at Rodriguez is underperforming as a first line winger, and you ne- your third line is underperforming across the board with one, with Cousins being, you know, a dead, dead black hole. So you need to push Rodriguez down into Cousins' hole, or you need to put somebody into Cousins' hole. So I, I think that they 100% are swimming for Tarasenko or better, we're trying to find something that they can move up there on the left wing with Barkov and move Rodriguez down or, you know, worst case scenario, it's a luxury on the third line and they can move, uh, you know, move them up if there's an well, injury. Well, because
0: if they, because we saw when, where they needed to, they they put Reinhardt back with Lundell and strained, and what a shock. That line looked really good when they put it back well, together. Well, I
1: mean, Whenever there's an issue, whenever Maurice feels like he really needs to score a goal, the first forward who sits is Evan Rodriguez. That is a good point. I mean, again, never wrong, just early. Uh, Again, he's great, but he's out of position. I, I don't know. I don't need to say names. I trust the Pro Scouts. I trust Zito. But it's very obvious that they need to replace Cousins, they need to knock down Rodriguez, or they need to get three lines that are scoring more consistently um, because their five-on-five five scoring just isn't it, and I don't want to rely on a power play that's only Sam Reinhart scoring. It's I tough. mean, they
0: did, they did get Verhage to the top unit at long last, and it has worked, yes. but yes. I agree with you. Shock of shocks, which they should have done last year. But I, I do want to say, like, your, your point on all this is well taken. And that's what I'm saying. Like, they're a very good team. They need that little bit more. They're not in a position where they should fear for their playoff lives because they, they're not. They're in. But it's adding that little extra thing that gets them more balance because last night was one of those games, where, and you're going to have games like this in the playoffs where it's just not happening for you your legs aren't there it's just not working for whatever reason
1: I, I thought i was really surprised so i i watched the game on delay but i watched it last night and and afterwards i got online and you know just to see what the sentiment was the vitri- i was i was like wow i'm usually the one that's over you know that is like more upset about things than other people but man after 12 days, this is what we get, or, you know, all this stuff. And and I think it was all just associated with, you know, the idea that they had a long break, so they should be good and they should win and and all this stuff. But um, I didn't think they were terrible. I mean, I didn't think it was their best game. But it's not like they lost because they had played a mistake late in game. They had a couple mistakes. They ended up in the back of the net. Uh, one of the mis- two mistakes was completely uncharacteristic of that player, who alone made the mistake. And goal, your backup goalie played good, and your top players played well for the most part. I I, I didn't understand. Uh, you know, Philadelphia had a whole break themselves. Um, to use that rationale, they have a coach. Who is very strategic, and you know, before the All-Star Game even happened, before the break even started, Tortorella was telling the Flyers this was a measuring bar, measuring stick game. This is the Eastern Conference Champions. They play a somewhat similar style to us, as in we're both very gritty, we both forecheck well, we both don't back down. You know, we both have good, you know, play team defensive structure, uh, and this and for the, you know, do you, are you do you want to prove to Briere that you that you deserve being a buyer instead of a seller? Do you guys want to be here? Do you guys want to go, you know, go for the cup this year together? Start out the this this half beating the Panthers in their own rink. You know that's a hundred percent what Tortorella is saying, and the Flyers brought it. I mean, both of their goals were nice goals, were skill goals. They had a good goalie. They had a better goalie than the, than the Panthers. And they, they played just as hard, if not harder. And they had a reason to want it more. Then that's what we talked about in other podcasts. The Panthers have to find ways to survive a regular season where everybody or most teams are coming in with saying we need we want to beat the Panthers at their own game, this is a measuring stick kind of game, you know, this is how we can tell if we're, we're a real contender or pretender kind of stuff. Every team's coming in like that, and you have to just take it. It's exhausting. And, uh, I I mean, I wasn't happy with the game, with the result. I fucking hate losing to the Flyers. I mean, how do, you know, a, a Panthers fan... In Philadelphia, who everybody around me know is usually, you know, especially if they're outside of work, they're they like hockey and they're Flyers fans. So it, it's not fun. I did not like it, but it also like was a hundred percent expected, foreseeable, and the Flyers are not a bad team. As funny as it is to say that, I'm not. I'm not mad at the, like you can be mad at how some
0: things went, but like, as long as it's not a trend, I don't get worried about one game. Like there were things that happened in some games where they recently lost. I was like, I don't like this, but as long as it's yeah. not a trend, I don't
1: care. Yeah. And, and again, I, what was the issue with last night? They weren't scoring. That was a known issue. We've, I've been saying since training camp that I, I thought, the way they did training camp in the lines and what they were focusing on and everything they weren't it wasn't m- a- optimizing their creativity and their scoring uh Rodriguez on the first line sam Miskevige out of the top nine et cetera and it's only shown that i mean they if you're not shooting all the time if you're not scoring all the time it's harder to do it The Panthers are have been focused on defense, puck management, winning battles, you know, composure, you know, managing a season. They've basically been doing everything besides just focusing on shooting pucks into the open parts of the net around goalies. Anyway, they should get to the the Flyers now because we have transitioned to them. Yeah, but I mean, the Flyers are completely different. They are different, yes. They're, I mean, Connecty's ripping on, but as a whole, that team isn't focused on necessarily perfecting their game, surviving the season, going for a Stanley Cup. They're all about keeping the good vibes, the momentum, and, and the form going. They're all about just going out and proving people wrong. They're all about energy, spirit, You know, Tortorella has X's and O's, but you know that he likes Ryan Poling, not because Ryan Poling's always executing the X's and O's, but because Paling's always playing to the spirit of the X's and O's that Tortorella's laying down. I mean, how many times we had the Flyers broadcast because we're local and we were forced to, how many times did they show Nick Steeler blocking shots? just throwing himself out there sometimes just completely abandoning play and being taking himself out of play for after the block shot but you know that like that's what Tortorella wants and and, oh my gosh it was the first of all the game last night against the Flyers the what what time was the flight for the refs that's what I want to know I think the refs only called penalties at the end of a period when they had to, and then the 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 boarding, which they also had to call. Um, but they I mean they were letting icings go, offsides go, trippings on scoring chances in front of the net, uh on both sides. Missed a high uh, stick late in the game. But there was this one there is a one yeah, they did. There is a one point where uh Sealer trips a Panther in front of the net who had the puck and was trying to like shoot. And like, then two seconds later, blocks his shot. And then after the play, you see the ref go up to Sealer, who's on the bench in pain, asking if Sealer's okay. And it's like, come on. <laughs> but that, that just is a, like, that is a great example of the Flyers hockey right now. It's things are going their way because they're playing the right way and they're fun to watch even the refs care more about them than calling penalties. <laughs> like, like, and, that. you know, and like, I I'm, I don't really care. The refs didn't lose the game for the Panthers or whatever. They were, it was, it was just one of the games. And this is why the NHL officiating needs to be figured out because every once in a while, there's just a game where the refs could not be bothered to blow the whistle for any circumstance. That game was p- fast. Also, it was in at a quick two hours and 15 minutes. They, they don't kick people out of the face as much as usual. Icings aren't called. Offsides aren't called. Whistle, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to encourage goalies to play. Are you it. saying
0: that this was officiated like an all-star game?
1: I'm saying that there, I don't know what scheduling or logistical need there was, but there definitely was an officiating vibe of Let's keep this game moving, and it did not alter no matter what happened, and I'm fine with that. It's just how come that's one out of a hundred games, and in every other game they're like they will be bogged down in video reviews, you know, yada yada. I thought they were going to bog down one of the goals in a video review and everything, and they didn't. Um, it just that's how hockey should be in my opinion, if it can be consistent when it's not consistent and I get games like that, it's frustrating, but that's not a big thing on the I flyers thought, overall for me, flyers overall. I was impressed. That was an impressive game. Not, not so much in anything they did, but they were able to, I mean, Couturier was beating uh Reinhardt on a bunch of face offs. Uh, the team was getting shots on Couturier's strong side so that Barkov couldn't take the face-offs because he was losing them to Barkov. Uh, I mean, like, everything they did was detailed. It was impressive from the Flyers. I've seen a lot of impressive games from the Flyers. The problem is I've also seen games where it's like, oh, yeah, that's it's the Flyers.
0: But I, that's what that's you want. the
1: team that we're supposed it's, to be tanking. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good enough bounce where Comcast is going to get their revenue and probably a first-round exit. And the Flyers are going to move in the right direction. And if they can somehow figure out a way to move around and and mitigate the loss of a top 15 pick or top 16 pick um, by making the playoffs like they did last year, they overachieved and they didn't have a top three or four pick, but they still got Mitchkov. I don't know if that's going to happen again, but... If they do that, then they're cooking, you know, they got, you know, RIP Carl Weathers, but baby, they got a stew going. Very know? good way to bring that up. Well done. Can I say that the Flyers positioning
0: is interesting to me? And, and here's why. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, if you look at Dom LeCision's model, if you look at Money Puck, the Flyers are in a playoff spot as it stands, but the models don't think they're going to make it. Whether that matters or not, I'm just pointing it out. You have teams behind them like the penguins who have a ton of games at hand you have a team like new jersey who is where they are because they've just been injured most of the time and they, they don't get saves but they've been injured most of the time and the flyers had lost five in a row heading into the all-star break they weren't playing great their goaltender is now persona non grata so sam urson's net for the foreseeable future i will say
1: that um it is likely that it was Urson's net a while before, and um, it, they didn't really push buttons, probably knowing that eventually it was going to be given to Urson anyway, right? Um, so, but, but either year, way, it's a different
0: it's a different situation now that Urson. I think he's the better goalie. He's the, okay. He, fair he enough. has
1: less experience, but I think he's the better goalie, and he's the goalie that Tortorella wants to play more. And when you if you look at this year's schedule. The games that Tortorella cares about winning, Urson was the one playing. Before all of this happened. Yeah, yeah.
0: But my point is, you've got that. We have seen more rumors now about the Flyers as sellers, as opposed yes. to what I had expected. We we talked about this with Cutter Gautier. Like, how do you balance the the needs of the needs the ability to maintain your discipline in terms of your rebuild while also realizing you've got a team that's better than you thought and it's not bad if they end up going on a run to the playoffs even if Carolina or the rangers smokes them you know what i mean and we've seen the connect rumors start to pop up again we've seen the scott lawton rumors pop up again
1: what you've would s- you what would you trade for connect on the panthers what, what would you trade? Cause I mean, it would be a, it would be back. I mean, I don't even things.
0: like, I don't even know how, if it, they can pull it off, but whatever. But, but you know what I mean? Like the things are happening again and it happened during the all-star break. Does that win change things? I don't know. But the fact that they're in this odd position and it shouldn't be that odd. Like they're in a playoff spot at the all-star break, but it's odd because of who's behind them, where they had expected to be. And also, I think the fact that the Flyers have been every single time you've heard Briere or Keith Jones or any of the reporters who have connections in the organization talk, their message has all been about, okay, we're going to, this is our plan. We're not going to deviate from our plan for our rebuild, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right? This is what I find interesting because they could sell. And if they wanted to, they could create quite a bit of chaos. If they wanted to really change the complexion of the deadline if they wanted to sell. And sometimes you see that, but do they want to? I don't know whether that five-game losing streak or external things happening, what was going to be their plan. And they still have a month to go. The trade deadline's in a month. But I don't still have a... I don't have a feel for what this means for the Flyers. Because, like, they could do little. You know, we said trade away some guys, but also buy someone, do it at the same time. And I still, I'm still struggling to get a feel for it, you know? And I don't know if Daniel Briere has a good feel for it either, which it's not a bad thing. Your team's better than you thought. You still have a month to go before you have to make that final decision. I mean, you, you still have to, you still have to consider like the, you know, Morgan Frost, he did play, but it's clear that anytime Torts needs somebody to put in the doghouse, it's him. You know, yeah, I mean, I don't
1: think they. I don't know if they trade Morgan Frost because I also don't think that there's a. You're gonna get anything back to help the rebuild with that more than just Morgan Frost hanging around a little more and trading him later or keeping him. I do think they make trades. I, the The one thing that's telling to me is they're getting Tortorella out in the public. Uh, some of his quotes about not falling in love with players, about understanding where they are understanding that even if they're playing well, they have a long way to go um, by his standards and by the club's standards. Um, and I think with that sort of language, you know that they're going to be coming out of the trade deadline with a first-round draft pick.
0: It's good organizational messaging, and it is consistent. That's yeah, and, important.
1: And, and, and I, I mean, to me, there's probably only one player I would bet is – maybe they'll keep is connect knee. But if someone, if someone like, you know, gives them three firsts and, a, you know, they're going to be moving them, I think. But I think, you know, Walker's the one that it was the freebie, the one that gets a lot of interest and can guarantee your first round draft pick. He's gone. I don't think he necessarily changes whether they make the playoffs or not alone. So at the well, now least, that you have Drysdale who you didn't expect to have. Yeah, but Drysdale's, they're different, I, but it's. He's, bodies he's on not the blue better line. than Walker this year. Well, true, but still, he'll get played more. He'll get hyped up more, and people will, will think he's better, but he's he won't be better this year. I wasn't focusing too much on him last he, night. He's, I mean, he's what you're hoping he's what Matheson should have kind of been, maybe, or you know, I don't like he he'll be he'll be good, he'll be useful, but I'm not. I've never been a huge Drysdale guy. But I think the Flyers need to move out guys. I think they can get multiple firsts, multiple prospects. And, uh, you know, you said they have a month. They're going to let the team win or lose on their own. But I think they would come out at least with a first-round pick and a walker trade, if not more. Uh, and if I had to say they would put – the winning would put a brakes on the any trade, it would be a Konechny trade. But um, – Anybody else on the tro- chopping block, I think, is still going to get moved. I think they all have a price. I think there's probably a list internally of if we get this price, we move. And maybe if we make a couple moves, we don't. You know, we only make three out of these five moves. You know, the first three that we make, we make. You know, just meet the price and let's let's move. You know, but I I think that's how it's going to be because it seems like they're taking emotion out of it. Taking uh, almost the thinking out of it, and just you know, we we know what's we know what's best for the team, and if it's going to meet the criteria, we're going to do it. Uh, the one thing I want to say is they they have to have learned their lesson from last year, and if they don't, I'm going to retract a lot of what I said, uh, and and. I, the way I'm thinking about the Flyers right now and their quotes show me that maybe they have learned, but last year they turned down a first-round pick for Scott Lawton. This year they'll be lucky to get a second-plus for Scott Lawton. They'd be, I think they'll be lucky to get a second for Scott Lawton. And Scott Lawton is probably someone that they will move. And that is a fumble for, from Air, from the Flyers. Um, it's livable. It's something you can get back out. But I think you know, from that lesson, hopefully that they there are prices where if we get this price, if we get a first for Scott Lawton type things, we're pulling the trigger. We're not saying no because of locker room stuff or because we might be able to make the playoffs and this guy could maybe help us win an extra game or two or maybe win the first round. We're trading this guy because we're getting a first round pick for somebody who was a first round pick but is not a first round pick in the NHL on the ice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so, like, I, I'm hoping that they, that's where they are. Uh, I would like for them to be there. I'm optimistic to a point. They're not, like, Breer and, and uh, Jones and stuff, they're not zero, they're not Zito, um, credentialed yet. They don't have that le- level of trust. They've handled some PR things well. Uh, they've handled the fan base well. They're moving in the right direction. But they haven't had hit after hit after hit and sizable hits hits where the ceiling was a lot higher than the floor sort of hits, uh, that Zito has yet. So, you know, there is caution. And that is why I think at the end of the day, they should lean towards selling because you, you, you want to give this front office more ammo to build up, I don't want them to have less ammo around Mitchkov's years, and not having extra picks to 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 move the rebuild faster, or having more prospects to because you've gutted the team more than you thought you would over the years, to grow with Mitchkov and stuff. I want them to be ready. Uh, so you know, it, it's an important trade deadline. I think they'll do well, but they are the Philadelphia Flyers and I wouldn't be a Phil- I wouldn't be a Florida Panthers fan if the Philadelphia Flyers were you know dependable We you a good place you know, to viable. end part
0: one of this show because now yeah. we got to go to part two